Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.33 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. Our apologies. We had a little bit of a technical glitch uh, with the news. Eileen will have the news for you at 1 o'clock today. Quickly into our Ashley Fine Floors text line, I asked the question, uh, which loss, series loss, do you think was tougher? This based upon the fact that we got maybe two teams that uh, most people thought uh, were not going to be playing in the uh, Canadian final, Winnipeg and Montreal today. So which loss was tougher for the respective organizations and which teams are in between Edmonton and Toronto were in a better place carrying forward kurt says the difference is over the last few years toronto had and used cap space to bring in free agents and trade uh, deadline players and still lost out in the first round ken holland's been putting together a roster with budget-friendly players let's see what the orders can do over the next couple years now that they've got some money freed up that one comes to us from kurt well one guy entrusted with evaluating the situations that respective organizations are in is former nhl general manager uh, with the tampa bay lightning uh and also uh the man who headed up uh octagon's hockey agencies which is now one of the biggest agencies in the world from the nhl network uh, we bring back to the show the number one overall pick 1983 nhl entry draft brian lawton for mattress superstore brian how you doing i'm doing great bob how are you good all right well let's cut to the chase who do you think they'll who do you think like the Oilers lost in four straight to the jets they lost three overtime games hellebuck was unbelievable 950 save percentage but and edmonton outshot winnipeg on average by six shots per game uh, over the course of that series uh toronto lost uh, john Tavares in game one got up three games to one in the series and you know lost two or three games at home where they had last change and ended up losing to the Canadians. It didn't bring much juice to the party in Game 7. Which loss do you think is tougher for uh, the respective organizations? Well, there's no doubt they were both difficult, but I really feel that, uh, you know, Toronto and the pressure that's been on them to just win, and this year being the year where they could avoid Boston, no worries about Tampa maybe sliding in there. They get the Montreal Canadiens. It's a clear path. They at least get out of the first round and it doesn't happen. 
I think it was catastrophic, and I think people are going crazy in Toronto over it. Uh, fans are disappointed here too, Brian, in Edmonton. I understand that, and they should be. Uh, obviously, you want to see your team move on. You got a couple of the best players in the National Hockey League, but uh, I was disappointed as well for the Oilers, but not shocked. Absolutely not shocked, Bob. Uh, maybe maybe shocked in terms of losing in a sweep, uh, but that could have went, you know, anyway. I think everybody recognizes that with the overtime games. Uh, when it was all said and done, though, you know, there were some challenges underneath that were concerning, and the lack of depth really roared its its ugly head. Uh, the play of Connor Hellebuck was tough to uh, overlook, and when you add it all up, it's a first-round loss that uh, is disappointing but not shocking. Which organization's in a better position moving forward, Edmonton or Toronto? Believe it or not, Edmonton. I just think it's really clear that they are. The world is their oyster now. They've gone through a couple of years for Ken Holland, who I've discussed this with, uh, knew it was going to be a challenge out of the box to try to cobble together rosters with very little limited cap space, and yet uh, Ken and Dave Tippett and the rest of their staff fully aware that you know they've got two of the game's best players and you want to win as quickly as you can. Uh, but they knew that would be a challenge, and it has been a challenge. But I do think that now they're getting into a new era in terms of Ken Holland's management, in terms of Dave Tippett's run as a head coach, where they're going to be able to pick a little bit more openly and have a lot more say as to what the roster looks like. I don't think they had a ton of say in the past. Uh, it'd be easy for fans to say, look at all the guys they've brought in. Yeah, uh, who they really brought in that was a – a monumental piece, a signature piece for Ken Holland. Uh, nobody really of significance, in my opinion. Well, the biggest guy that maybe came in was Yasapul Yarvi, and he was here before, and Ken has to get some credit for salvaging that relationship. Now, Mike Smith had a good year uh, this year. Um, and I guess you, I guess part of the reason is the owners had no cap space, so you kind of get what you pay for. Like when you're spending 750 to... Um, you know, a million bucks, you end up with guys like Joe Kim Nygaard, who I still think if he'd been given an opportunity to play, might have been able to do something. Uh, and Gaetan Haas, now you have a chance to maybe improve on that because you do have a little bit more cap flexibility, Brian. Yeah, you do. And, and like I said, you're going to have an opportunity. Ken is now going to have an opportunity to really put his stamp on this team. And if I were a fan before I was uh, screaming about a first-round loss, I would give them the opportunity. Let's see what they can do. I know he's been in charge for a couple of years, but that's just the world we're living in now. You can inherit a team and it's ready to win or it's wide open to make changes, very much like Bill Zito was able to do in Florida. Or you can inherit a team like Ken did that, you know, really the roster was set for these two years for sure. They're going to still rely on internal growth. There were some players that were there already that are now, I believe, ready to contribute in a big way. That's going to bode well. Additional cap space is going to bode well. It won't be easy. They have to make huge decisions on Larson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They have to figure out what the – they have to try to predict the future, which nobody knows as to what will be with Oscar Clefbaum. So a lot – to uh, unpack for Ken Holland and his crew to try to figure out.
All right. Well, and Brian, we should mention, and I know you brought this up yesterday when you did your evaluation of the Leafs, cap, uh, the cap as well. Like when Ken came here two years ago, you know, we're at 81 million. People probably thought the cap would go to like 84 and a half, 85, and then to 89. And instead, it's flat, and it might be flat for two or three more years here as well. So there's nothing anybody could have done as a result of that. In the case of the Maple Leafs, um, because I don't think, you know, when we look at Edmonton, uh, it's funny, Connor McDavid sort of talked about, you know, the leadership group and included Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Adam Larson in that group that includes Connor, Leon, and Darnell. Um, in the case of the Maple Leafs, do you look at shaking something up with those four forwards that make about 40 million bucks? I mean, they got three guys over $10 million there. And then uh, Nylander, who's you know up around what is he seven million bucks a year, and he's been the most productive guy in the playoffs the last couple of years. How would you handle that situation? Like realistically, what can the Leafs do? What should the Leafs do there? Well, that is the question. Realistically, I mean, obviously they're top heavy with four forwards. Austin Matthews, he's not going anywhere. John Tavares, as good a player as John is, with the contract he has and where his age is at, I think he's untradeable. Not because he's a bad player, and I'm not insulting John in any way, shape, or form. I just don't think you can move that contract in this environment. So now you're down to Mitch Marner at $10.9 million, and I don't believe that they will trade Mitch Marner. I think that they should absolutely consider it personally, but uh, you have to get fired once to figure that one out, in my opinion, to really recognize the sense of urgency because I do feel like Toronto should have a massive sense of urgency but you keep going and now you're down to William Nylander and I do believe in the end he's a player that will be traded and a lot of other uh, teams managements will come to that conclusion and I uh, wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being a transaction that we see uh, pretty quickly um, I just wanted to there, there was a tweet that came out today I guess Pierre McGuire did an Ottawa radio show and talked about Toronto and Edmonton being two examples of teams. I, I, I maybe I can look up the exact quote that that are heavy analytics teams, and this is what you get. And um, we know Toronto's got a lot of. I wonder whether I'm going to. I want to get the exact quote uh, here. Here with it. Uh, you, basically said the the two teams that have been built through analytics, and they're both on the outside looking in the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, Brian, I, I work for Edmonton. I work for the Oilers Enter- Entertainment Group. Uh, I, I found that to be a surprising comment from Pierre McGuire. Uh, Pierre's entitled to his opinion. Uh, what would your thoughts be on that? I would say that's 100% false. Um, Dave Tippett uses his own internal analytics. That's not what Pierre's talking about. He's talking about Toronto's built a real analytics department. Kyle Dubas, you know, quite frankly, is contacted a lot of the guys that uh, I worked with or hired for another organization, Tim Barnes, for instance, otherwise known as Van Ferrari to some of the analytics community in Edmonton know exactly who I'm talking about, works for the Washington Capitals. I hired him for Washington. Um, Sonny Mehta, a guy down in Florida. I know that Kyle Dubas took the time to go out and chat with these guys because they're really top analytics people, and I know that they're doing a lot of work in it. Uh, I would even suggest that they probably loved the numbers too much in the Montreal series because there was a narrative out there that I felt was really misleading to their coaching staff and their organization, and that was that Marner and Matthews were really driving play that was just a matter of time. 
that obviously proved uh, not to be true. I didn't think it was true by the eye test because I didn't see momentum being created in other factors. And that's what a good analytics department or management department does, is they mix in the eye test and you know, analytics. you got to be careful not to fall in love with the numbers, and nobody loves the numbers more than me. In terms of Edmonton, I am not aware of anything like that that they have. And I would consider them not really that deep into analytics. Only Ken Holland can answer that in the end. But I think Ken would be truthful and say he looks at it. It's a box that every team in the National Hockey League checks now, but there's not every team is all in on analytics. My suspicion is that Edmonton certainly would not be in the top quartile of which teams are and which teams aren't. They wouldn't be in the which teams are category for me. That is only a guess, uh, but that's a good question from the media to uh, to Ken. He's been doing it a certain way, and he believes in it. He's had great success. He can't argue with that. Um, Lou Lamarill doesn't believe in analytics in the New York Islanders franchise, and he seems to be able to construct teams. So you can do it different ways, but I feel like that's a false statement by Pierre. Yeah, uh, I'm led to believe, and and I do, and I'll full disclosure here. I know a couple of the guys out there. Uh, you know, I've met Michael Parcati is out there, a guy named Darcy McLeod, Wood guy. These guys are these guys are very successful in their own personal careers. Uh, and I mean, you, if you're a top flight person in analytics and competitive intelligence uh, in the banking world, or theoretically for uh, significant uh, oil and natural ga- gas companies looking f- uh, to create greater competitive advantages, you can make anywhere from two hundred and fifty to to three hundred fifty thousand dollars base in some situations with those companies. So, I mean, it, it that that might be a difficult pill for some organizations to swallow. Tyler Dello worked here briefly. He's now director of analytics for New Jersey. They are an organization that's heavy into it, and they haven't had great success the last two years. I don't think that's necessarily the fault of Alpha. I'm just saying the range, like you can make a lot of, uh, you can make a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of different range. Like Colorado's got multiple people. I don't think Colorado's paying big money for all the guys that are helping out Chris McFarland in that organization. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, they're not all making a quarter of a million bucks, but I tend to, you know what? I kind of see it though. I was surprised to hear that comment today from Pierre because I don't think Edmonton has been a slave to the numbers. I think there's been some gut feel along the way there, and I'm like you. I think there needs to be a, uh, you know, you take everything in, Brian. You know what I'm saying? Every bit of information you can, in terms of evaluating players. A hundred percent. As far as what Edmonton's done, um, in my opinion, I mean. Ken Holland, you know, did something that was familiar to him in the past when he had to take his hockey club down from 75 plus million to 39 with the advent of the salary cap. He went out and signed a lot of players from Europe, and he really was able to mine that pool successfully. The difference is that back then he was a trailblazer doing that. Now he still came up with some pretty good guys for what was available but very difficult to hit that level. So the Oilers, to me, have been more strategic, not necessarily driven by analytics, but by experience of a GM that's won multiple Stanley Cups and knows what he knows and believes in it. Um, as, far as, your, as far as your description, though, Bob, I just want to touch this quickly of what, you know, the really good guys, so 
Tim Barnes is one of the elite guys. Eric Tolsky in Carolina, anybody that watches their hockey club should recognize that they are very deep into analytics. Eric Tolsky leads that. Um, and then Sonny Mehta down in New Jersey, who I already mentioned. These guys were all super successful in their original careers. In Tim Barnes' case and Sonny Mehta's, they were traders in Chicago for a company called Peak Six, where they made hundreds of thousands of dollars, much more than they're getting paid by the hockey clubs. But they love doing it. It's a passion, and every fan out there could probably relate to that in a pretty significant way. Uh, but those guys are really great at what they do because they understand one thing: they don't have a, they don't have zero affinity with hockey. But they didn't play. You don't have to. They understand game theory, and that's what really separates them from what a lot of other people are doing. I don't see that type of end result when I look at New Jersey. That's just my opinion in terms of what they're doing with analytics. But, you know, everybody is different. And, uh, you know, I look at it closely because I still think it's one of the last – I think it's one of the last ways that you can really improve your hockey club that's low-hanging fruit. All right, Brian, we're going to hit on one more challenging topic. And I mean, you, you're employed by the league. I'm going to be intrigued to see what you think about this. 17 of the top 18 paid players in the National Hockey League are out. I have a theory that the league's done a far better job of protecting the goaltenders. Maybe the goalie union got out there. And they've got to do a better job of protecting their stars. And Edmonton did not lose the series against Winnipeg because Connor McDavid never drew a penalty in the series. But it's crazy to me for two straight playoff years, or the play-in series last year against Chicago and then the playoff series against Winnipeg when McDavid played 120 minutes, that he doesn't draw a power, a power play in either of those two years. Um, I don't get it. Like, like again, I don't think Edmonton and Toronto, lot, like, you know, Matthews and Mar- Maybe like I, I just to me they're they they officiate and manage the games in such a fashion come playoff time to the benefit of the bottom six forwards at the expense of the stars who sell the sport. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Uh, it's obviously a very touchy subject. You know, you have different factions of people that are involved in the decision making process. You have some old school guys that you know, love that super hard competitive. It's the playoffs. It's different hockey. And then you have a new, new school of thought of people that look at the NBA. They look at the national football league and they say, my goodness, those leagues have continued to explode in growth. And the one thing that they've done really well is find ways to allow their stars to be stars, find ways to protect their stars in the NFL, find ways to allow their stars in the NBA to really showcase their skills, little things, just hand checks, things that, you know, you got to be kind of an advent basketball fan to understand. It doesn't seem like a big change, but it's a massive change. The equivalent of the NHL would be that in the series we just saw, there would have been six penalties minimum called against Connor, not against, but created by Connor McDavid. And I think we tend the exact goal that they want, and I don't believe it's uh, personally, this is just me, not the National Hockey League, I think that we could reach a higher level uh, all around the globe, to be honest with you, if we created more ways for our stars to be stars. This will sound self-serving because I'm talking to an Edmonton radio station where you have massive stars, but lots of other teams have massive stars too, and uh 
I just think that it, it, it would help grow the game. I really, truly believe that. There are a number of people that would advocate that at the top of their lungs that I'm crazy and I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's my personal feelings. That's why we love having you on the show, Brian. Uh, have a terrific day. We'll hook up next week, okay? My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Former general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he drafted Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman, okay, in 08 and 09. Kind of tells you something there, doesn't it? How long it took Tampa Bay. They won the cup this past year. Steve Eisenman goes in there after um, after Brian Lott. And eventually, Steve moves on to Detroit. Doesn't really get a, you know, have that full experience that Julian Breezewa did as uh, Tampa wins the Stanley Cup last year in Edmonton. Brian Lawton from the NHL Network brought to you uh, every Wednesday by Mattress Superstore. Give them five minutes. They'll give you the best sleep of your life. Take the Sleepology body scan. Take the guesswork out of buying a mattress. We'll tell you that uh, guests and orders now receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. When the province gets back up and at him, Roos Chris will get fully back up and at him. 99th Roos Chris, open up at 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie Taylor and Chef Eltaf that Oilers Now sent you. We'll come back with your text when we return on Oilers Now. It's 1253. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Very quickly, you know, our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Uh, Randy says, Bob, I know you are n- trying to not come across as a whiner, but I have to disagree with you about the lack of calls that it, quote-unquote, didn't cost the Oilers a series. It's letting the league and the officials off the hook. The Oilers had a 30% power play, so if they got calls on four or six more infractions in the series where every game was a one-goal game, what are the odds they score one or two more goals? Sprout out over two games, that turns the tide in uh, in a game or two that were so closely contested. So now let's talk about Brandon Saad, Ryan Getzlaff, and Corey Perry from Randy. Uh, I think Getzlaff's going to re-sign in Anaheim. Uh, that said, I, if he elects not, you know, if he wants to finish, if he thinks they're going to rebuild, I, I would think Edmonton would have a puncher's chance on Ryan Getzlaff. But I do believe he's going to uh, uh, resign uh, with the Anaheim Ducks, who, by the way, have brought back Dallas Aikens as their head coach, uh, as well as uh, general manager Bob Murray. Uh, this texter comes in, uh, Stephen from BC, says, Bob, straight up, the NHL does not value its stars. The NFL and NBA have realized that without excellent performance on TV from the stars, the sport will not thrive. Well, it might be the Canadian aspect, too. You know, Canadians are hard on their stars. Uh, You're nothing as an actor until you go to Hollywood. You're nothing as a musician. With the exception of the Tragically Hip, that's the one band where you'd say, you know what, we get it, the states don't screw you. Too bad for them that they don't get it. We get the... But often, Canadians have to make it in the U.S. And then when it comes to... I think there's a very different perspective... Some might call it egalitarian. Some might say that it might be a little bit more socialist in terms of the approach. I don't know. Uh, Let's do this. We are going to go to the Oilers Now Injury Report, brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters 
in injury law. Trent Brown was a heavy hitter back in the day for what is now known as the Edmonton Elks. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Here's Brendan Escott. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen and John Merrill day-to-day for Montreal. Winnipeg is without Nathan Bolio, of course, uh, on the back end. They have been since early March. He is done for the year. Flyers forward Kevin Hayes, core muscle surgery last week. He is expected to fully recover in five weeks. And Vincent Trocek hurt in Carolina's Game 2 loss last night to Tampa. Uh, they have not disclosed the injury other than head coach Rod Brindamore saying it's does not look good. 12.58 in Edmonton, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. 105 David Staples, call to hockey. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad.